Hello, and welcome to The Lens, historians and popular media. I'm one of your hosts, Craig. I'm joined by Emma. Hello. And today we are joined by Lucas Kelly, a PhD candidate in the history department at UNC. Lucas, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Lucas, would you mind telling us about what you study? Sure, yeah. So I study uh, Native American history, and in particular, I'm interested in Cherokee and Chickasaw history and how uh, people from those two nations were able to persist against American colonization of their nations. This happens in the, in the late uh, 18th, early 19th century. But I've also studied the 19th century in general, and I really consider myself pretty well versed in most antebellum history, particularly the antebellum South. Very cool. So Lucas, can you tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about a recent song by an artist named Tyler Childers. So Lucas, before we get into this album and its historical and cultural context, who is the musician? Who is Tyler Childers? Yeah, so Tyler Childers is from Lawrence County, Kentucky, which is a county located on the Kentucky border with West Virginia. Um, He is, I think, by any definition of Appalachia, he is an Appalachian. Uh, His father worked in the coal industry. His mother uh, worked as a nurse. He is very familiar with the music of of Southern Appalachia. So I think this album in particular speaks to those Appalachian roots. I mean, it is a bluegrass album, and he's... I think he's clear in this interview that he released along with the album that he sort of used the time off because of COVID to get back to his Appalachian music roots, learn, uh, you know, work on his skills on the fiddle, play a lot of these, these authentically Appalachian songs. So Long Violent History is the the final song on this album of, of the same title, but the songs that precede it are all old time fiddle tunes. Uh, and for anyone who has is familiar at all with bluegrass music, with Appalachian music, Many of these tunes are tunes that people grew up playing, grew up listening to, and that would be really recognized as very authentically Appalachian. This album, Long Violent History, is his fourth album, um, and he's experienced quite a, quite a bit of commercial success with his two of his previous albums, albums entitled Purgatory and Country Squire. Country Squire in particular charted number one on U.S. country and folk charts, uh, and this was without very little radio play. He also won the 2018 um, Emerging Artist of the Year from the American Music Association. So again, this is someone who is using his experience with bluegrass music, with Appalachian music, with country music to, to really make an impact on the music uh, in the music industry uh, alongside other artists from Eastern Kentucky like Sturtle Simpson and like Chris Stapleton. That's, that's really interesting, Lucas. Um, I'm excited to talk about this. Why, why do you want to talk about this album? What is your connection to Tyler Childers or, or, or this type of music more generally? Yeah, so I mean, I think, um, first off, Tyler Childers is one of my, my favorite artists who, who's writing right now. But I, I think it's important, too, um, as someone who uh, does consider themselves a, a white Appalachian, I guess, for lack of a better term, or, or uh, someone from the mountain south, as we might say. Uh, I, I think that Tyler Childers' songs and his music in general speaks to uh, a lot of the music that I grew up listening to and grew up playing. Uh, my, my grandfather's a music teacher, and a lot of the, the old-time bluegrass songs on the album Long Violent History are songs that I grew up playing and listening to at, in various situations, whether that was uh, in lessons themselves or just going to different events around my community. So I think in general, Tyler Childers sort of speaks for a region that I also identify as being from. Um, so maybe that's one of the, the, the reasons that I think both that his music is so powerful and that I think it 
really can speak to people who live in that region in a way that might come across as inauthentic if uh, coming from an outsider. Interesting. So what is so important about Long Violent History as a song and, and why, why is it so important to discuss it today? Tyler Childers wrote, wrote Long Violent History in June of 2020, right at, at the height of a lot of these uh, protests against police, police brutality and white supremacy. And I think it's extremely powerful because it, maybe we could say it translates these protests in a way that people from Appalachia, especially white people from Appalachia, would understand or at least maybe empathize with. I'm from New York. Craig, you're from Scotland. Lucas, you say that you're from Appalachia, but you know I even say Appalachia and you say Appalachia. So the question is, what is Appalachia? <laughs> so I think that's, that's a fantastic question. And defining Appalachia is something that historians and scholars of all stripes have really struggled with. Um, I, I was looking up some of the def- various definitions of Appalachia. You know, there's this geographical component, but unlike all other descriptions of regions in the United States, Appalachia doesn't um, conform to state boundaries. So it's more, it's a really fluid definition. I, one, of the, one of the definitions I looked up included only 190 counties in sort of the, the central part of the country. And then the most expansive definition is 445 counties. And this was, this was done in a survey by University of Kentucky geographers in 1984. And in, in that survey, it includes parts of the country all the way from um, Chapel Hill and Durham, which I think for all of us who are living here in Chapel Hill and Durham, that definition doesn't really fit. And then it might go as far as Southern Mississippi, um, upstate, upstate New York as well as included in parts of Appalachia. If there is going to be a geographical definition, um, many people begin with the definition of the Appalachian Regional Commission, which is a program of the federal government that is designed to bring economic opportunities to Appalachia. And this organization defines Appalachia as 420 counties that stretches across 13 states and spans over 200,000 square miles. And, and this, their map that I'm looking at right now um, goes all the way from the middle part of Mississippi to, I guess, central, central New York State. So it's a pretty big region. You know, there is a geographical component. Historians and scholars also talk about the social and cultural dimensions of Appalachia. Um, some things like resource extraction, a lack of economic opportunities. Uh, we're all, we've also, you know, of course, heard a, a tremendous amount about the opioid crisis that's going on. And I think that uh, that also marks the history of the region. And we can get into, into that as well, because Childress himself recognizes that. And substance abuse is something that, 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 that he does struggle with and, you know, talks about that as being a, a part of living in, in Appalachia. I think we also, you know, Childers is talking about Appalachia as a white space. I, and I think he's doing that really intentionally. As we're unpacking this definition, I think it's important to remember that um, even if cultural depictions of Appalachia tend to see it as a white space, on, on the one hand, that never was the case in history. Some of the native groups whose traditional homelands in southern Appalachia are uh, the Cherokees, Creeks, Chickasaws, Uchi, Tutelo Saponi, Shawnee, Erie, um, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Miami people, the Monacans, Lenape, Susquehannock, and then I could add uh, various other native peoples um, depending on how we define that space. So again, if we're looking at the history of Appalachia, we need to recognize that there's a native past and uh, it hasn't been white um, throughout history. There's also a very vibrant African-American community in this region. I, I did a, a talk um, last summer 
in far western North Carolina. And as part of this this event, I included a local historian who studies African American communities in Anders, North Carolina. And she was really insistent that even though people forget that African Americans live in Appalachia, that that we as scholars just can't can't do that and can't see Appalachia as a white space. I think maybe one other thing is Tyler Childers is says speaking to his rural listeners. And Appalachia is is also not solely a rural space. Um, There's some major vibrant urban areas in Appalachia, including Huntsville, Alabama, Asheville, uh, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, for example, is included in uh, the definition of Appalachia. And I'm from Knoxville, uh, which also is another urban space. So so again, I think that this definition of Appalachia, it's important to think about how it's defined. But I mean, we could devote five podcasts to talking about this definition, and I don't think we'd ever get to one that's satisfactory. So let's get into the song then. I know that you had pulled out some lyrics that you wanted to highlight. So Lucas, can you can you read the first lyric that you wanted to talk about and explain why you think it is significant? He structures the song in a really interesting way. So he kind of sets up at the beginning, identifying himself as being from Appalachia, and maybe trying to I think I think intentionally set up critiquing a, a lot of these, a lot of the the images of protests uh, of the summer of 2020 um, that he then talks about. So it seems at the beginning of the song, uh, he talks about footage of of these protests. He talks about um, you know maybe like questioning the media. Uh, he uses the phrase "tall tales and hearsay and absolute lies" uh, that comes from the media. And towards the end of the first verse, he includes the phrase that that these protests are, quote, keeping us all from enjoying our evening, shoving its roots through the screens in our face. So I think here he is saying that that these, these, these protests are making people uncomfortable. So I think he's sort of setting up, setting the song up in a way that, that almost says that he's going to be critical of, of this movement. And who are the, quote, the people that he is speaking to? Who is the intended audience for this song? Yeah, so he's pretty clear in a in a monologue interview that he released as part of the album. He kind of defends the song and talks about why it's really important. But he's also really clear that he's speaking here in this song to quote his white rural listeners. Um, and I think we could even take that a step further based on some of the examples he he also includes in the, this interview and really say he's especially talking to people from Southern Appalachia. And maybe we could even say that he's talking to white people from Southern Appalachia, who, you know, as he is pretty clear, he also identifies with and understands. Let me ask you then, Lucas, Tyler Childer is speaking to only a very distinct part of Appalachia, or is he speaking to the region as a whole? I think Tyler Childers is speaking to a distinct part of Appalachia. So clearly this is um, this song is directed at uh, white rural inhabitants of App- Appalachia, there's several references to gun culture in the song. I think he's sort of using popular conceptions of violence, of ruralness, of whiteness, and mobilizing these concepts to have people in Appalachia sympathize with protests against police brutality and white supremacy in a way that's really, really interesting, even if it is sort of problematic from a historian's standpoint. So early on in the song, you say that Childers is taking a line that makes it seem that he may be in support of what these white rural Appalachians think of the protests of the summer. The, you mentioned the idea of keeping us all from enjoying our evening. How does he move on from there then? 
Yeah, so he sets this this up in the first verse. And then in the second verse of the song, I, I think he, he goes on to sort of prove that he is someone from Appalachian, understands that culture. So he starts the second verse saying that he is, and he is an expert, that, that people from outside Appalachia often come in and tell us, and again, you know, I, I'm, I would include myself in here too, tell us how to live our lives and how to make our culture better. And that that, that is part of the experience of, of someone from Appalachia is being othered by outsiders. And then he also, he sort of says really clearly that he is a white boy from Hickman. Uh, Hickman is, I believe, a small community in Lawrence County where he's from. So he's sort of showing that he has roots in the region. And then says that because he's from there, he does have opinions on Appalachia, and he is an expert on that area and understands how that area operates in a way that, that an outsider might not. And then he also, in the, the second half of the second verse, he recognizes, and I, and I think rightly so, that people in Appalachia have been discriminated against by outsiders, sort of assumed to be, you know, use the phrase that the world's took me for ignorant, that because of how people in the region speak, you know, the lack of educational opportunities that uh, many outsiders do consider uh, Appalachia to be an ignorant place or a place that is less educated, that is less cultured. If we were looking at this from a historical perspective, in the you know late 19th century, early 20th century, oftentimes uh, writers would use terms like uncivilized or savage to talk about white Appalachians, despite historians now uh, being able to show that that these are really constructs and that Southern Appalachia, Appalachia as a whole, isn't any more violent than the rest of the country. And certainly these, these concepts of civilization, uncivilization, you know, lack of civilization are uh, slippery concepts that don't have a tremendous amount of utility and have mostly been used to discriminate against people. So you're talking about the constructs and one of the things that comes to mind is the ways in which the region of Appalachia appears in the news or popular culture. So you've mentioned the opioid crisis, but I'm thinking about something like Hillbilly Elegy, which was a huge book a couple of years ago and just came out on Netflix as a movie in 2020. I, I mean, how is Childers trying to either play against these constructs of Appalachia, or is he actually using these constructs to make his argument? So, so I think he's doing, he's doing both. Um, I think, you know, in, in this verse, he's clearly saying that he is someone from Appalachia. And it's clear that he's white and really speaking to his white listeners. And so in, in doing so, I think he's saying that that I am an expert and that I reject sort of outsiders' definitions, outsiders' discrimination against people in the area. But I think he's also mobilizing concepts like whiteness, like maybe a rural culture to to make his argument. But but it's clear that he's sort of saying that because I'm from Appalachia, I'm able to critique this culture. But we, we shouldn't accept people from outside of it doing the same, who, who aren't living these lives and don't understand how this culture operates. That argument is really powerful when he then moves on um, to talk about how white people from Appalachia might be thinking about you know, the, the 2020 protests. So Tyler Childers, you say, is using the first part of the song to stake his claim as being part of some of these images of Appalachia. How does he then move on with the song? How does he use that or deviate from that in, in what he talks about next? Yeah, as you said, Craig, he set himself up to prove to white people from Appalachia that he is is one of them, that he does share this culture. And then he kind of turns this culture on its head. And, and we've talked about how he sort of is using stereotypes or cultural concepts of Appalachia for his own purposes. And here here's where it really gets gets to that. 
in the second part, the, the final lines of the second verse, he, he writes, uh, could you imagine just constantly worrying, kicking and fighting, begging to breathe? And then the beginning of the third verse uh, goes, uh, how many boys could they haul off this mountain, shoot full of holes, cuffed and laid in the streets till we come down in town in a stark raven anger, looking for answers and armed to the teeth? You know, I think he's really intentional about using this begging to breathe as a, a reference to Eric Garner and definitely setting this up as violence, discrimination against a group of people. In this context, he's saying, look, we are from Appalachia. What would we be doing if we had to worry about being attacked, you know, worrying about breathing of all things, being shot, being arrested uh, indiscriminately? He's asking his listeners to, to imagine if people that look like them and that were from their part of the country were experiencing these things that African-Americans were experiencing. Um, and I think that he, he in this interview that, that I've referenced that he, that he released along with um, the song, he even goes further in making this point. Um, he asks his listeners in this, this monologue to imagine what if they came home or opened their newspaper and they saw these headlines. North Carolina man rushing home from work to take care of his elderly mother because of some health problems runs a stop sign and is pulled over and beaten by police when they see a gun rack in the truck. So again, this is a question that he's asking, sort of using some cultural concepts that like, like taking care of elderly parents that I'm sure a lot of people, um, you know, certainly across the country, but in Appalachia in particular, um, have to deal with. And if just by having a gun rack in the truck, they're then attacked or discriminated against by police. He also asks, what they would do if they saw a headline like East Kentucky man shot seven times while fishing with his son by a gay warden who thought he was reaching for a knife when it was only his fishing license. Uh, and then he finally, in this interview, again, this last question, I think it's probably the most powerful. He asked, what would they do if they saw a headline like Ashland Community and Technical College nursing student shot in her sleep? And I think this is the most powerful question that he asked because, you know, it's clearly a reference to Breonna Taylor, who is, as Tyler Childers says in the same interview, is a Kentuckian like him. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Ashland Community College, this is a community college in Ashland, Kentucky, that I think I'd imagine that for people from the region, it would be an institution they'd be familiar with and they would trust. And they would expect that any of their sons or daughters who attended this school would be safe and taken care of and would never expect you know, them to be shot by police as they attended this college. So I think here he is in this song, as well as in this interview, uh, asking white people from Appalachia who share shared the culture that he has to imagine if they themselves were, were being uh, victimized by police brutality. And, and then I think he does something really incredible, which is saying, what he asks, what would we do? And then he answers that. And he'd said, we would come into town in stark raven anger, looking for answers and armed to the teeth, 30-06s and Papaw's old pistol. So there, there would be this kind of popular uprising against police brutality with weapons. And I think that's really important too. And that, you know, it's likely that, that this uprising would, would kill police. I mean, I think that's, that's what he's saying here. Um, and if we look at history of Southern Appalachia, this isn't that far-fetched for him to think. You know, in, in this monologue, Tyler Childers reference, references conflict called the Battle of Blair Mountain, which is not from 1921. That was a labor uprising in West Virginia. There are a lot of these examples of um, white Appalachian people who resist authority through violence. I'm personally familiar with what's called the McMinn County War, which happened after World War II when, when veterans came home to McMinn County, which uh, is actually where my family is from. 
and they fought police because the the police and the local government were basically stuffing ballots and sort of perpetuating their own political power in the region and weren't and weren't allowing these returning veterans to have a political voice and the veterans decided that the best thing to do would would basically be to attack the uh, the local police station and and shoot shoot policemen um, and make sure that their ballots were counted. And in the end, it worked. I mean, Battle of Blair Mountain certainly ended when federal troops came in and made sure that the striking miners did go back to work. But in places like McMinn County, nothing happened to any of these these veterans who attacked the police. They some of them actually won local office and uh, ended up reforming the local politics. So so I think there is this long history of popular uprising and this intentional use of violence to sort of show their voice. Again, this is just speaking about this Appalachian culture that, that Tyler Childers is using in, in really powerful ways, I think. I, I think it's it's true that people in the region would celebrate this history of uprising and probably probably gun culture as well as a way to, to show their political voice. So the title of the song then, Long Violent History, or the title of the album, is kind of twofold. It's talking about both the perceived long violent history of the Appalachian region, and then also the long violent history of the nation that he is addressing by explicitly calling to scenes of racial violence. So as he's talking about this this history of violence, which I think is probably the most common description and depiction of Appalachia, both from insiders and outsiders, in a way, Tyler Childers is embracing that and saying that it is a violent place. But I think at the end of the song, he really adds some complexity to this understanding because he says, if this happened, if there was this this uprising, would this be sort of this popular opposition to discrimination? Or would it be the start of a long, violent history of tucking our tails as we tried to abide? So here he is saying that there is this violence, but the most violent thing that would happen would be people just letting this discrimination, you know, repression, white supremacy happen to themselves. Um, and I think he he's sympathizing with with the use of, of force as uh, a means of political protest in, in a way that I think is really powerful in saying that that's not true violence. What's violence is doing nothing ab- about this. And again, he kind of he kind of leaves unsaid if if white people from Appalachia accept violence and protest and, and opposition to to government officials as legitimate in their community, then they should do the very same thing and accept the same um, when we see African-Americans protesting uh, police brutality and white supremacy. And, and I think, you know, he's trying to show that there's more connections between these two groups that often absolutely don't think of themselves in the same way. Would it be more appropriate to title this song Long Violent Histories in the plural? I think, I mean, I think, yes, maybe we could think about it that way. I think that it could be maybe Long Violent History with a question mark at the end. Tyler Childers is, is asking us to think about what is violence at the end of this song. Is it, you know, using the tools at our disposal in, in the case of this history of, of white Southern Appalachia people opposing you know, political repression or uh, economic repression, it's been these sort of popular uprisings against coal companies and against, you know, political figures. In the way Tyler Childers is, is defining violence, that's not violence. What's what's violent is not doing so. Accepting this um, oppression, the lack of opportunities, and, and in his words, 
tuck in our tails as we try to abide. And th- I think that's the most violent thing that, as children is understanding it. So I think that there are, as you, as you mentioned, Craig, there are these sort of multiple ways of thinking about violence that Childers is, is using. But I would add a question mark at the end because I, I think it does speak to this question of what is violence and how do we understand it from a cultural perspective? And how does it both limit what outsiders think about different groups? And, and how does violence perpetuate ideas about lack of civilization or, or uh, an uncivilized notions on the part of people from, from uh, Southern Appalachia. But, but I think too, he is asking us to, to, to question what we think of violence and in doing so maybe be more sympathetic uh, or at least empathize with protests against white supremacy and police brutality. One of the things I think is striking and that you've uh, outlined quite nicely, Lucas, is this idea of this album and this song in particular addressing people that are often seen as disparate or, or, or disconnected, as, as you talked about with Breonna Taylor being from Kentucky and Childers' audience is living in Kentucky in, in a slightly different area, but Kentucky nonetheless. How does this album in, in general speak to Kentucky's history? Yeah, I think that, that's a great question. And, and I, you know, I've been thinking about these connections um, in preparation for, for this recording. I'd, have either of you ever been to Kentucky or to Louisville? No, I have not. It's hard for me to describe how different Louisville uh, is from other from other parts of the state. And I'm sort of an outsider. I did I did live there for four years, but even people in Louisville would say that things like this: we don't belong to the state of Kentucky. Um, and then you know, people in Eastern Kentucky, I think, would say similar things and say that they don't consider Louisville to be authentically Kentuckian. But I, I think Tyler Childers is really confronting both of these ideas, both by clearly referencing police brutality and that, you know, as you said, Craig, um, Breonna Taylor was a Kentuckian like Tyler Childers, and he's he's clear about that connection. At the beginning and end uh, of Long Violent History, the song, Childers includes sort of a, a, a connection and, and, and licks from my old Kentucky home, which really gets at this history in interesting ways. So my old Kentucky home is the state song of Kentucky. It's also a, a minstrel song. So you have this sense of, you know, a state identity that is based clearly in a time period of white supremacy, of, of black minstrelsy. Uh, and, and this song is something that everybody knows in Kentucky. It's even saying at the, at the beginning of the Kentucky Derby, the, the annual horse race in May, you know, there is this sort of Kentucky tie I think that that Tyler Childers is trying to do by both including my old Kentucky home, as well as referencing uh, Breonna Taylor in in this monologue and, and making sort of a veiled reference to, to this in the in the song itself. But but as you said too, this this is an album that would speak to people from Kentucky. I mean, this this is an old time bluegrass album. Some of Tyler Childers' other work has definitely been more in in the country genre. But but this really speaks to the long bluegrass history of Kentucky and, you know, is similar to it like Bill Monroe or um, Ralph Stanley might have uh, come out with an album with all of these songs on it, except probably for the last song. It, they would have been embraced by people from Kentucky because bluegrass is Kentucky and that, that's where this, this, genre, this genre came from. So I, I think by using bluegrass as a cultural artifact to then... Uh, again, speak to his own, Tyler Childers' own authenticity as someone who is 
um, you know, a, a Kentuckian, a white person from Appalachia. But I think he, he is sort of, uh, again, using these cultural tools that are available to him and they're a part of his culture to then critique that own culture. And, and I think music is a really powerful way to do that. So, Lucas, let's let's talk about this, this culture, I guess, more more broadly. Um, you've hinted at this, but I really want to dig into this idea of the historical memory that Childers is is playing into that you've been talking about both for Kentucky and Appalachia more generally. What are the ways in which historical memory is playing into the construction of this album as a whole? You know, I think there there is this long understanding of Appalachia as violent, which sort of Tyler Childers sort of works around in the song. People remember the region for a variety of things, feuding. Childers himself is from the part of the Kentucky West Virginia border that was the site of the Hatfield McCoy feud in the in the late 19th century. There's also this thing this history of moonshining, running moonshine, sort of evading the law in, in that way. I've referenced Kentucky State song, Mel Kentucky Home, Tennessee State song, one of them is called Rocky Top, and it talks about government agents going up on the mountain looking for moonshine stills and they're murdered before they can come uh, tax the the legal liquor that people are making. So so if we're if we're thinking about violence, it's it's almost celebrated in in uh, Appalachian culture among people from southern Appalachia even if historians made really compelling arguments to say that's just not true that the conception of Appalachia as other as violent as uncivilized has been done really intentionally began in the late 19th century early 20th century to make it easy to extract resources from the region to think of the people who who live in the area as labor and not as management, in some cases, as, as you think of coal companies or timber companies. The coal in Appalachia has really been the driving force of U.S. industrialization and was the driving force of U.S. industrialization in the early 20th century. But the importance of those resources didn't mean that the, the region became you know, particularly wealthy. And I think that Childers, is, in this interview that accompanies the song, He's clear that saying these systems of oppression that take resources out of the region, that take jobs out of the region and pump drugs in are part of some of these same systems that discriminate against people of color and African-Americans in particular. So we should think about this long history of Southern Appalachia and discrimination, resource extraction, lack of educational opportunities, but see these similarities uh, among African-Americans as well. Again using history and identity, I think, to sort of ironically break down identity and see commonalities with other groups. That's really interesting, Lucas. And also in that discussion of the historical memory and trying to break down these ideas of what is Appalachian identity and this kind of sense of of Appalachians as rebellious, you would probably know this better than me, but part of this region fought for the Union during the Civil War, right? I mean, they weren't rebels. Yeah. When we think about historical memory, maybe the most powerful and and tragic uses of historical memory is as part of reconciliation after the Civil War. So most of Southern Appalachia, including Western North Carolina, Eastern Tennessee, Eastern Kentucky, had the majority of white citizens, white male citizens in the region fought for the Union. And of course, maybe most famously, West Virginia is a state because people in the Mountain South rejected the Confederacy. And there's a lot of great work. Um, I've done a little bit of research on East Tennessee in particular, 
the argument that I made in, in this piece is is basically saying that white people from the mountain south rejected, while they didn't reject white supremacy, they definitely rejected the political um, isolation and uh, lack of political power that they had with within their states where southern slave owners were in particular the, the groups that, that had the most political power in all of these states. And they saw their own economic and political interest as sort of in opposition to the interests of the owners of enslaved people. And that did encourage them to then fight for the union where they saw their interest as, as best represented in the union. But again, I, I don't want to say that people in the mountain south were fighting you know, for emancipation or for African-American rights. You know, Maybe some were, but I, but I think they, they certainly didn't just didn't see their interests in aligning with the Confederacy. So if we have this sort of wartime story, the ways that, that these states reconciled the fact that as much as a third of the white population fought against the Confederacy was to use white supremacy as a way to, to, to unite the state. Um, there's really great work on Eastern Kentucky in particular, where Tyler Childers is from, on how whiteness became a way for the former planter class to kind of bring white unionists back in the, into the political fold, uh, if you will. And now I, I don't think anybody would consider um, Eastern Kentucky, Eastern Tennessee, West Virginia not part of the South. Um, but at the time, there was a, a lot of tension between the two groups about what, what the future would look like. Would it be... Uh, would it be a, a way for people in these mountain areas to have more political power after the Civil War because they did support the Union? Or would they remain part of the existing political system of white supremacy that both existed the, before the Civil War uh, and then was recreated after? Uh, and, and I think it's worth saying, too, this didn't happen overnight and wasn't you know, was an incomplete project if, if we think of using white supremacy to unite the mountain south with other parts of, of each of the states that, that include parts of Appalachia. In North Carolina, for example, the Fugitist Party was a political party of African-Americans and uh, Republicans from of the western part of North Carolina. Uh, in East Tennessee, there were really interesting political dynamics between African-Americans in and around Memphis and in East Tennessee, and both groups rejected the democratic rule of middle Tennessee. So, so again, this, this, uh, this use of historical memory is really important, but, but again, I think that is an important thing to think about that there's this, there's this history of the, of the civil war when most people in the mountain South fought against the Confederacy. And now if you drive through Southern Appalachia, you see Confederate flags all over the place, even if these people's ancestors would have been fighting against the Confederacy, which I think is one of the great ironies of this history. Yeah, and famously, Andrew Johnson, who was uh, Lincoln's second vice president and then became president after Lincoln's assassination, was the senator from Tennessee. And I believe he was the only senator from a, a seceded state that actually kept his, his seat and did not, did not go with the state. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean that he then supported African-American rights or the Reconstruction Plan when he was president. He very much was against that, and that's why he was impeached and almost removed from office. But Andrew Johnson is emblematic of the story that you're talking about of how you know, the historical fact and and the existence of white supremacy have all gotten kind of muddled together to create this historical memory in which Appalachian identity is very much connected to these ideas of the South, but also is very problematic because what we think of as a monolithic South, it's not a monolith at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that that's a great thing to put, put on. I mean, especially... <laughs> I mean, just from a personal perspective, my high school mascot was the Red Rebels. 
yet this county I think it's something crazy like only out of a county of like like 8,000 people or 8,000 people who who uh, voted in a referendum about joining the confederacy only 100 people voted to join the confederacy so again the fact that there's a high school mascot in that area that (laughs) seems to connect to a confederate past just doesn't fit with the history when we look at it in those ways it fits with historical memory maybe but not the history itself but then if Childers is playing into ideas of historical memory that are incorrect based on the historical record does that really matter too much so I, I've gone back and forth about that. I think in a way, this song does tend to perpetuate the idea of Appalachia as violent um, as white. The fact that people in Southern Appalachia do embrace some of these um, cultural constructs that Tyler Childers mobilizes, like whiteness and like violence, um, and I, I think music as well is something important too. I think that he's, he's using the tools at his disposal to make this historical argument. I don't think that a historian from Chapel Hill who studied Appalachia but didn't sort of speak their cultural parlance, if we will, would be able to make this argument. I think because Tyler Childers speaks from a place of authenticity, even if that Appalachian authenticity or however one to term it is constructed, I, I think coming from that perspective does give him the ability to critique this culture that he's saying he's a part of. And I, I guess, yes. I'd probably say it does matter because I think it's important that everyone sort of recognizes the historical developments that led us to to the present that that we're living in. But at the same time, I don't know if he could make an argument like this from more of an academic or a you know historical perspective. I think he has to mobilize some of these ideas about historical memory and cultural constructs to to make this argument and try to break down these barriers between African-Americans and uh, white rural people from Appalachia. So Lucas, final question, New Yorker to Kentuckian, Appalachia or Appalachia? (laughs) It's definitely Appalachia. I will try to put that into my vernacular then. (laughs) I think you should try it here before we, before we conclude, Emma. Appalachia? That sounds great. All right. Appalachia. Thanks, Lucas. Well, great. Thanks for joining us today, Lucas. Well, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I think this is a really important historical artifact. I think that, especially historians of more mainstream U.S. history, kind of sometimes dismiss uh, the history of Appalachia in in some ways and don't include it in larger narratives. So I I think in in many ways, Tyler Childers is a historian and is saying that the history of white Appalachia matters, the history of African-American people matters as well, and that we as scholars, we as people who study U.S. history, we as Americans should recognize the similarities, the commonalities between these two histories, rather than kind of perpetuating these differences between these two groups of people uh, that I think uh, Tyler Childers is saying, and I think many historians would agree, has contributed to othering uh, of both groups. I think that's as good a message as any to end with. Thanks again, Lucas, and thanks, Emma. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>